I hope you have a Bible with you this morning, and if you do, I invite you to turn it, uh, open it to Hebrews chapter 11 to start us off with this morning. But before we get into the text, uh, the verse that I want to share, and the text that we're going we're to uh, spend our morning, and I just want to make a couple of comments on a special morning like this. If you were a if you're a family member or a friend of someone getting baptized this morning, I'm really, really glad you're here. It, it makes such a difference as I, uh, as I work with uh, people who want to get baptized and they, they're preparing and, and they're, they're looking through about things. And without a doubt, I think probably every one of them has some nerves regarding this morning. Most of us can probably identify with that because if you stand up here, it, 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 you get a little nervous sometimes. But even just the, the profession of faith, the step it's taking... You know, we don't often think about these kind of things, but there's a, there's a battle going on whether we're going to be faithful or not faithful, whether we're going to walk into Jesus' kingdom or not walk into his kingdom. And, and when we come to these kind of moments, that battle intensifies because the enemy wants to do everything he can to stop these kinds of things from happening, stop the public proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ from happening. And so there's, there, there's nerves associated and there's, there's worry about those things and, and there's unsureness and, and maybe there's even doubts that sort of come in. And so I'm really glad if you're a family member or a friend of someone getting baptized this morning, thanks so much for being here. It means the world to them, I can assure you. Um, it means the world to us as a church family, by the way, to know that there's other family that's, that's uh, here. Now, having said all that, to those of you getting baptized, Tim, you're sitting right here in front of me. I gotta find the four. Tyler's here, Ulrika's right behind him, and Sophia's sitting right over here. Um, I told all four of you as we, as we prepared for this that I like to... Uh, preach, I, I prepared a message for the four of you. Now, the rest of you are all gonna listen in, I hope. It's not permission for you to check out and do whatever you want or catch up on your sleep from, that you didn't get this weekend. But I wanna talk to the four of you, and I know that when we're nervous or when we're not sure about what all is going on, there's a tendency for our, 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 our mind to float. And so I'll do the best I can to keep you engaged and to make sure that you're paying attention um, and I hope you would want to do the same thing. I want to be very clear about something up front. This is going to introduce our message, but this is not just for you four, but it's a reminder for you four. The Bible is very, very clear that when God created every one of us, he put his spirit, his presence, I shouldn't say spirit like that because that gets confusing. He put himself, he put the image of him inside of us. He put a piece of himself inside of us. And then when we sinned, when Adam and Eve started that sin and all the rest of us followed that down that same path, that sin separated us from God. So we were left with a dilemma and we covered all these things, but this is a reminder for you this morning. We covered all those things because as we were separated from God, we began to realize that we deserve, when the Holy Spirit begins to open our minds to this, we realize that we deserve death because that's what the wages of our sin is. That's what the payment for our sin is, is death. We deserve that. And we further realize there's nothing that we can do to make us right with God. We can't try hard enough. We can't try to be good enough. We can't offer the right amount of sacrifices. We can't pay the right amount of money. We can't go to the right church. We can't have the right parents. We can't observe the right rules. We can't we can't say, well, I'm gonna, if I do this and this and this, then I'm going to be in. We can't do any of those things because the Bible is clear that if we want to earn our salvation, we have to be perfect. Tim, are you perfect? Are you perfect, Tyler? Are you perfect, Ulrika? Are you perfect? I could go down every single seat in this church, which would take too long. But all of you can say with a resounding what? That, are you perfect? No which means we're left with a big dilemma, right? 
But the Bible is so clear that God recognized that dilemma and God did for us what we could never do for ourselves, which was to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to become the sacrifice, the payment, the penalty, to pay the penalty for our sins that we could never do. And the Bible is clear that we receive that. It's an act of grace. God gave us this grace, this gift, and we receive it by faith. You see, my message title today is Saving Faith, because I want to talk about the faith that saves us. I'm going to take a specific slice at it. It's not a, not a total look at it. I want to take a specific slice at it that I think is well represented in Hebrews chapter 11. But I want to get there by helping us to see, and this is true for every one of us. So again, I'm talking to four people here, but I'm talking to the entire room full, because it's true for every one of you. You can do nothing, you could do nothing, you'll never be able to do anything to earn your salvation. It is necessary for you to receive that by placing your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. It's the only option you have. When Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, then he's saying that there's no other way you're gonna arrive in heaven. There's no other way you're gonna get to where God is at unless you've trusted in him, in Jesus Christ. So, Having set that stage, I'm gonna stop and pray right now because I want it to be very clear to all of you sitting here, to every one of you, certainly the four of you, I think you've already done this, but every one of you, that if you have not ever done that, my brother Chris just prayed this prayer. If you've not ever done that, I think you should do it right now. I think you should place your faith in Jesus Christ right now. You have no other option for being right with God. If you have, wanna have any hope for spending eternity in heaven with God, that's the only option you have. We're gonna go ahead and baptize four people today but I'm not gonna miss the opportunity to recognize that every one of us needs to be in that place. God, thank you so much that you saw our need, that we were helpless and lost, that we were wondering, that we were without hope, without you in this world. We were blinded by our sinfulness, we were blinded by our flesh, we were blinded by Satan. We were blinded and we were trapped, we were caught, we were ensnared, we were in bondage, we were in chains, whatever phrase we wanna use, we were dictated, we were dominated by our own sinfulness and we could do nothing about it. And furthermore, that left us with the only expectation of fearful, eternal punishment away from you in a place called hell. But you through Jesus Christ, oh, glory to your name, God. You through Jesus Christ made a way for us and you opened that door that we could come into heaven, into a relationship with you to be free from our sin, to do what you created us to do, through Jesus by placing our faith in him. And so this morning, before we go any other step, any other place, this morning, God, this seems to be of utmost importance that we are here and we have, we're, we have our eyes closed, which means we wanna take an opportunity to say, Jesus, I trust in you for my salvation and you alone. I place my faith in you alone. And whether it's the thousandth time or the tenth time or the first time we're doing it this morning, I, I'm, I, we want to do it for you this morning, God. We want to say, as you lead us by your grace and understanding the truth of the gospel, that we need you, Jesus. We are not saved apart from you, Jesus. We place our faith in you, Jesus, and every hope I have for being right with my heavenly Father is only in you, Jesus. So I want to place myself in you, under you, under your lordship. I want you to be in charge of me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were to look at Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter I told you to turn to, we call it the faith chapter for a reason because it talks about the faith of people, of all the saints throughout the ages, and points to us for our faith. And the very first verse says this, 
that this transaction that we were just talking about is the faith, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that's gonna become an important theme through the chapter 11, and it's an important theme for this morning of what I wanna talk with you for about, is that faith, this saving faith, is an assurance of things hoped for. It's being sure of what our hope is in. It's the conviction, it's being convinced, it's being rock solid steady in the fact that there are things that I don't see, but they're true. There are things that I don't see, but they're true. Now, if you were to start reading through this, uh, and we're not gonna read the entire chapter, but if you start reading through this chapter, you would come and realize and hear things like, we believe by faith that God created the heavens and the earth. We didn't see it, but we believe by faith. And then we start talking about this man, Abel, and how he offered a better sacrifice. And we talk about this man, Enoch, and I'm just kind of walking through. If you have your Bible open, I'm just kind of walking through what happened here. Enoch, we talk about him. We talk about this guy named Noah who displayed incredible faith as he built this big old boat and, went, and, and was, was in advance warned of, of judgment coming, and he responded and was obedient to God. By faith, he did that, even though he had no idea of what, what was going to be coming. By faith, Abraham obeyed, and Sarah, as she was listening, and you just walk through, and you hear these people who responded by faith, who were, who were in this, this verse here that says they were sure of what they hoped and they were convinced of what they couldn't see. All of these things, there's promises, and all of them were saying, there's things I don't see in front of me. There's things God is asking me that I can't figure out and I don't see the evidence of, but I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust in God. This is the saving faith we have. And you would keep on reading these things and you see after Abraham came Isaac and after Isaac came Jacob and you know the story and we don't have time to tell all those stories this morning, but read the stories and, and after Jacob came this man Joseph and, his, and Joseph's life was a mess except God used it beautifully and he ended up in this place called Egypt and we come to this guy named Moses and I'm really kind of pushing through because I want to get to this verse because this is really actually the, the verse I want to, to I want to instruct us on this morning. Because when Moses was born, he was born in a foreign country and he was saved miraculously by God for God's purposes. And, be, and because he was saved miraculously by God, instead of dying, he was raised in this, this environment where he had everything. He was the Pharaoh's, as if he was the Pharaoh's own son. And in verse 26 of chapter 11, here's the verse I want to get us to. Here's the verse we're going to spend time with this morning. So listen to this verse. It says that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now just read that again and slow down and make sure you're paying attention to the words and let's make sure you're, they're sinking into your brain and you're letting them roll through there and you're not distracted by other things, but you're listening because this man, Moses, who had an opportunity to have the whole world at his disposal, he said, I consider the reproach. What does that word reproach mean? What does reproach mean? Now, those of you who come to church, you know that I like to ask questions sometimes, and I'm, I'm totally fine if you answer them. In fact, I want you to answer them out loud. So if you're new here, if you're visiting, you probably aren't aware of that, and it feels a little weird that I'm asking questions. But if you're from church, you know this. What does the word reproach mean? Is that a good word or a bad word? Let's start there. Somebody's got to know. Shame. Reproach is not a good word, right? Reproach carries the idea of shame of trouble, of being looked down upon, of rejection. And Moses said, I consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth, of worth more than all the treasures of Egypt. Now, if you would, we don't have time, you don't need to know all this stuff. You don't, it doesn't matter necessarily, but, but in Egypt, in that, con, in that time, that, that context, Egypt was the known world. They were the power. They had all the wealth. 
Everything that was anything that we know about their civilization came from Egypt. Everything was at their disposal. Their gods, I mean, sorry, their kings or pharaohs were known as gods. They were expected to be treated that way, that they are gods, that you should look at them and you should worship them and that God has put them there for a reason and that you better not cross them, you better not disagree with them, you better not go against them because it's like you're going against God himself. And Moses had these things at his disposal, it says. It says he was raised in this environment and somehow we come to this idea where he said, you know what? Now, this is really by faith because the writer of Hebrews is writing back Christ into Egypt. But he said, I consider the reproach of Christ worth more to me than all the treasures. And in this sentence, I'm telling you, Tim, and I'm telling you, Tyler, and Ulrika, and Sophia, in this sentence captures the essence of a saving faith that, we're, that the Bible talks about. This trade. Like, why would you make a trade like that? Why would you look at all the things you could have in this world and set yourself up as a person that's going to be worshipped and have all the wealth and all the followings of people can, can, can make decisions and, and can say jump and they, and they ask how high when they're in the air and just like, like rule. Why would you trade that away for something you can't see, for something you don't even know about, for something that is not tangible in front of you or for something that, that you're not sure how it's going to work out? In fact, if you want to get real about it, if you're gonna trade that away in the right now term for Moses, it's gonna mean mistreatment, it's gonna mean rejection, it's gonna mean fleeing, it's gonna mean being scoffed at, it's gonna mean being pursued, it's probably gonna mean having a price on his head because I'm guessing they wanted him to die. That's not a very good trade, is it? Except for that's exactly the point of the message this morning. It's exactly what the Bible teaches us is that is a good trade. Why? Why is that a good trade? Why is that what the Bible lifts up and says, this is the faith that saves you, is when you bring yourself to a place where you say, the reproach of Christ, I would rather face, I would rather be hit with, I would rather share in, I would rather be just like Jesus in being reproached and being shamed than have all the wealth this world has to offer to me because I'm looking to my reward. Now, Moses isn't the only guy, as we're gonna keep digging into that question, Moses isn't the only guy that had the same decision. When, when we go through the pages of the Bible, we could pick lots of examples. We go through the pages of the Bible, we come to after Jesus' death and resurrection, and we come to the early disciples, the first, the first fathers of the church. And when they begin to preach in Jesus' name, and pressure starts coming against them, and they start being, uh, being uh, corrected, and being warned, and being threatened, and finally being beat, when they leave that scenario, this is what Acts chapter 541 says, it says they left the presence of the council where they had just been threatened, and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. There's that word reproach again. To suffer dishonor for the name, for the name of Jesus. Listen, listen, this is so clear to me because I live just like all the rest of you. I live in America in 2022. And I live in a culture, and we live, and all of us live in a culture where we do just about everything we can to avoid suffering. We will go to great lengths to protect ourselves. We will, we will do everything we can to keep ourselves safe. We will do everything we can to get ahead. We will understand that the right way to obey God is to, and I'm gonna speak just for myself here, right? I'm gonna speak to what the pressure is culturally for me, and I don't mean just American culture, I'm gonna speak very specifically about my own specific background, my own culture. I grew up Amish, I am now a Mennonite, a Baptist, and we believe 
by the pressures of the culture around us that the right way to obey God is to do really good in taking care of my family. Make sure they have everything they need. You see, these things, these things aren't just theoretical things in the Bible, friends. They're not just like great ideas out there somewhere that like, man, that's, that's, that's so good. These hit home, don't they? These are real choices that we face in how we're going to respond to what God wants to do in us. And they said, you know what? I'm rejoicing that I was counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Oh. You know, Peter, one of those guys that was that group right there, later on as he wrote a letter, he wrote these words right here. He said, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. <laughs> That's a good thing. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Man, I'm telling you, the four of you getting baptized, I'm telling you, this is not an easy message to give and it's not an easy message to receive because I'm trying to convince you this morning that it's better for you. It's a blessing for you. It's, it's for your good if you are insulted for the name of Christ. If you suffer at his name, that's when the spirit of glory rests upon you. That's when God's spirit of glory rests upon you. Again, we don't have time, but if you quickly just picture in your mind the scene when God's presence comes down in the very early tabernacle for the people of Israel and the Shekinah glory of God comes down and people are, I mean, it's, it's amazing. People have to shield themselves. In fact, every time Moses goes in there and he comes out, they say, cover your face, Moses, because it's too bright for us. That's the glory. And this is the glory that, that the writer of Hebrews, uh, the, I'm sorry, that Peter said rests upon you when you're are called to have the honor of suffering and being mistreated for Jesus' sake. Don't make yourself a martyr. Don't give people a reason to dislike you. But for Jesus' sake, it's worth it. The reward that is coming is far greater. Now, I'm going to talk about why these guys are saying these things, and I'm going to make sure we don't lose sight of that, that reward. I keep saying it. But, you know, they're only saying these things because Jesus said these things. You understand that, right? When Jesus stood on that mount that day and he taught the crowds of people, he said words like this, very similar sounding words, right? He said, blessed are you when others revile you. That means they speak bad things about you. When they persecute you, that means they're not nice to you. And when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, that's the key part of that phrase, by the way, falsely. They're saying all those things about you falsely. It's not true. You're not actually like that, but you're godly. You're Christ-like. You're kind. You return evil with good. You turn the other cheek. Go read, excuse me, through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and you'll hear the other things that Jesus was talking about. But he said, blessed are you when they do those things, when they do all this stuff foster in account of me. He says, rejoice, the very next verse, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Once again, he's inviting you to consider that what's coming down the road is big enough, is great enough, is of enough value that whatever you're facing right here is not as important, is of lesser value. And could you, would you be able to amass all the wealth of the world, which you can't, but if you were able to, he says, would you be able to bring all that wealth at your disposal, you still would not have touched the reward that's waiting for you in heaven in God's very own presence. Now, as we dig into this reward, and why it's so precious, 
I want to point out what Jesus said just a chapter later, because I think it's where he begins to reveal why he can say this to you. Why he can say, it's, blessed, it's a blessing for you when you suffer, when you are reviled, when people persecute you, because your reward is great. At the beginning of chapter 6, he says this. He, this, this is another section, but I, just, I want to illustrate what, he, what I think what he's trying to get to. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. So don't do all your good stuff in front of other people. And if you do that, so that, beware of that in order, if you do that, to, in order to be seen by them, because then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And this is starts, I think, what starts unlocking what I'm telling you today. Because I think you begin to see that there's a trade-off that comes. You can either look for rewards here and get them from people here and have them honor you here and then you won't get them from God or you can flip that around and not get it here and not have it from people now but get it from God later. I think that's the, that's the dichotomy. That's, that's the divergence that he's setting up in these two verses. He says, blessed are you if people speak ill of you, if they revile you, if they persecute you because your reward is great once you get to heaven. God is going to reward you there. But on the other hand, if you are practicing your, if you're being as good as you possibly can so that people notice you here and they begin to recognize you say, oh, look at that guy. He's doing a good job. Then you're getting your reward already and you will not get one from your father in heaven. Now, this is probably the easiest answer all day, but I urge us not to make it too flippant or too like the church answer. I want you to let it sit in deep down inside of you. If you have to choose between getting a reward from people or from God, which will you choose? If you have to make a choice between having people honor you or having people reward you or having God reward you, which will you choose? It's the same choice Joshua gave the people of Israel long ago, right? Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day. Maybe Moses gave the choice first before Joshua did. We know the answer up here. But the heart of this text is that the answer has to work its way down here. What all of this mindset is illustrating is a verse that I jumped over in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to just keep this moving here. Because in Hebrews eleven six 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. You will not get God's reward. You will not get his, you will, he, will not, you will not, he will not be pleased with you without faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. There's two parts of this, that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him, those who seek him earnestly. Two parts. You must believe that God exists and you must believe that if you seek him, he's gonna reward you. There's that same word again, right? Reward. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to his reward. Here's the reward we're talking about. That we believe that God exists, that he's there, and we believe that he will reward those who come after him, who earnestly search him, who earnestly let go of all these other things to pursue who God is. Now, thus far in the book of, or the chapter 11 of, the, of Hebrews here, we've read about some fantastic things. We've read about God doing some fantastic things on people's behalf. We've read about the incredible results of faith, and this is true. If you stay with Moses, you read, if you just quickly kind of keep on moving there, you read that the people of, of Israel by faith crossed the Red Sea when they had no, no uh, 
viable way of being able to see that that would happen, they crossed the sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not die with those of Jericho. But I want to read the next portion because I want you to hear something. I want you to get something straight in your head. I want you to decide today that this means something in your life and that it's not meaning the wrong thing. Are you ready? In verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11, this is what the writer says. And I put the phrase up there first because at the first phrase he says, what more shall I say? He said, I've been walking through the pages of history and demonstrated how people of faith, how they responded, what kind of faith they had that saved them. He said, what more shall I say? And then he says this, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now this is all sounding rosy, right? It's sounding great. It's sounding like when you have this kind, of, this, this kind of saving faith that your world is dramatically altered and God comes through in powerful ways to let nothing harm you. And in the middle of a verse, I'm in the middle of verse 35 if you're following along. In the middle of a verse, look at the sudden change. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, which means poor, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I want to make sure we're understanding the text correctly this morning, friends, because the last thing I want to have happen is for you to hear a message that talks about the saving faith that God wants his people to have, and you come out of this room this morning, and you think that when I have this kind of saving faith that God is going to do all these wonderful things and nothing bad will ever happen to me, because thus far the list looked a bit like that, which makes it really easy to say, do I want God to reward me or do I want people to reward me? Because of course I want God to reward me, Right? But if I were to ask that same question and you look at the back half of the list I just shared and say, this is what God's reward is starting to look like, how many of you wanting raising your hand now and saying, I'm signing up for this? Tortured, beaten, sawn in two, stoned, destitute, poor, in constant flight, and worry for your life, afflicted, shabbily dressed, pursued, now who's signing up for the list? It's the same list. You understand it, right? It's the same chapter. We didn't, we didn't like turn a corner and say, well, that's for these people now, that's for these people. And I think that's entirely the point of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us in this chapter. Is to say, the kind of saving faith that we are to have is to have the mindset that says, it doesn't matter what happens right here, good or bad. It doesn't matter whether the mouth of the lion is stopped or whether I die at the hands of the lions as many of our forefathers did. It doesn't matter if the edge of the sword is stopped and doesn't pierce like it could or whether the sword comes and removes your head from your shoulders. It doesn't matter whether God comes through with all kinds of nice things here in this life, whether he, he responds to your faith with, with all kinds of good things as he did for Abraham in many ways 
or whether you're poor and destitute and walking around with nothing. It doesn't matter whether I get, get to live in a wood-paneled house that's fine as the finest house of the day like David did, or whether I'm going about in dens and caves out in the wild. Because in the end, none of that matters because I have the attitude, the saving faith that says, I consider the reproach of Christ, whatever, however Christ, whatever Christ wants to have happen to me, whatever Christ walked through, I consider that of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for I'm looking to my reward. The point isn't, is it going to be good or bad here? The point is, everything that's here must submit to what I'm looking for there. I am looking for my reward there, not here. I am waiting for what God is going to do there, not here. Now, in a New Testament context of this morning, I would tell you the reward, the reward that the Scripture is referring to is very clearly here focused in our eternal presence with God. The return of Christ ushering in a rule and reign that Jesus will have and our presence with him. I'm telling you that scripture is equally clear that we have a down payment, a deposit of that presence. Now it's the Holy Spirit. It's the guarantee of the, of the inheritance that we're, about to, that we want, we're looking forward to. And that's the comfort we get here. This is why it gets difficult, right? We don't see the fullness of it yet, do we? We don't all have the roses and the crowns and all the good things. Sophia and Ulrika and Tyler and Tim. If in some way this morning, through this message, I can exhort you, encourage you, that the kind of saving faith the Bible talks about is one that has this kind of mindset that says, I will trade everything away in this world for the glory of the next. I believe this is the faith that honors Jesus. I believe it's the faith that God is looking for. It's that idea, that realization, that realization that whether God brings plenty or little, health or sickness, you name it, pick all the opposites. It doesn't matter. For I'm not after stuff here. Jesus said it very clearly, and I want you to say it this morning as you get baptized. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I would fight for it. I would defend it. But as it is, my kingdom is from another place. Your kingdom is also another place this morning. I want you to live for that kingdom. Fight for that kingdom. Long for that kingdom. Pray for that kingdom to come. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. And we say that despite knowing that sometimes it doesn't feel so good down here. But we want to be of those who say that we consider being counted with you, high or low, thick or thin, suffering for your name's sake, saying no to ourselves, rejecting ourselves, crucifying our flesh for your sake, we say that is of greater value than anything that this world has to offer. And we want to receive that by faith this morning, act out of that by faith this morning, 
so that we can be found pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.